Welcome, nerds from around the world. Grab yourself a tasty beverage, get comfy, and prepare to get your nerd on as we dive into the world of computing past, present, and future. This is Lunduk's Big Tech Show for April 2nd, 2023. Before we dive in to the news of the week, which there is a ton of, it the last several weeks, honestly, have had a lot of news. There's just so much going on in the nerdy, computery world. I would like to reiterate something. I would like to make a statement, to plant my flag, to draw a line in the sand, one that I have drawn repeatedly. But I feel it bears repeating. No content in this show or any article I produce has ever been, currently is being, or will ever be produced by an artificial intelligence unless you count me in that bucket. I simply don't like the idea of news, opinions, even how-to articles being produced by a large series of if statements. That bugs me. Not that there's anything wrong with artificial intelligence. There is. But I simply am not going to make use of it. Everything here is handcrafted, artisanal tech opinion and news. (laughs) Which is a very strange thing to say, in my opinion. But I am hearing... Many things, and there's going to be more news breaking over the coming weeks about this, of more tech news outlets moving to AI-produced content. I'm hearing from writers, I'm hearing from editors, where they're continually doing this. In some cases, it's simple things, like using chat GPT and similar tools to produce rough drafts of articles that then get massaged by editors. In other cases, they are removing the writers, the journalists, the nerds entirely and replacing them with low-level editors to come in and simply make sure that the AI-produced content is grammatically correct because they they do not have these low-level editors, these newbie editors that are oftentimes not even nerds themselves simply do not have the experience to fact-check and double-check the content that these AI engines are spitting out. So I'm going to say that again, loud and clear. This show and everything that I do will never be AI produced. All right. (laughs) Now let's move into some of the news because there's some pretty fun stuff happening this week. First off, a little bit of a high five is in order for Bloomberg. Yeah, the the financial news people, Bloomberg.com. They earlier this year, and they just announced it, but in January, they decided to create 
a FOSS fund, a free and open source software fund internally. I'm just going to read you a little tidbit from this because I think it's great. It's just good. It's not huge news, but it's good news. In January of 2023, inspired by Indeed's original initiative, we'll come back to that, Bloomberg launched its final round its first round, sorry, of employee voting for its inaugural free and open source software contributor fund, a partnership between the company's open source program office, which I didn't even know Bloomberg had, and its corporate philanthropy department. I managed to say philanthropy correct. I almost said philanthropy, which is a better sounding word, but I'm pretty sure is incorrect. Quote, the goals of the, let's just say philanthropy, (laughs) and open source are very similar. Both are focused on building community and using your talent and resources for public good. This collaboration with our CTO office to launch the free and open source contributor fund is a great way to leverage Bloomberg's unique resources and connect our engineers to our culture of giving back says uh, Francesca Romano of Bloomberg's corporate philanthropy team. So uh, this is actually pretty cool. So it's new free and open source contributor fund, which will run a quarterly election. So every three months, they will award up to three grants of $10,000 each voting cycle. That's kind of cool, right? I mean, that's kind of cool. So 10000 bucks. Every three months go to uh, each of three projects. The first ones, uh, let's see, uh, once the votes had been tallied, three open source projects integral to Bloomberg's operations were chosen as the recipients of the company's inaugural uh, fund grants. And that those projects were Apache Arrow, Celery, and, and I think this one's the cool one, Curl. C-U-R-L. We, we spoke about this last week on last week's show. The C-U-R-L project just turned, was it 25 years old? Something like that? Amazing. And now they just got a $10,000 grant. Just to just, hey, keep doing a good job from Bloomberg. Love it. Love it. A little command line tool for fetching things. Just got a $10,000 grant from Bloomberg. I I love this. The more we see of this sort of thing, of, of big corporations giving back to help fund the open source and free software that are driving and enabling their business to start with, that's a great thing. They're not just, they're not just mooching. They're giving back. I love it. Now, at the beginning of this, I said, and I quote, uh, that this was inspired by Indeed's original initiative. So the company Indeed started something similar. They started a free and open source software contributor fund that they were doing that. Now, a lot of people give Indeed the credit for, for originating that. This just happened like a, a couple years ago. They, of course, didn't. Many companies have been doing this for decades or more 
<laughs> However, um, Indeed does it also, so that's good still. Uh, the fact that Bloomberg got that wrong and they say that Indeed originated it, uh, maybe it, Indeed was the ones that originally called it that, the contributor fund with the capitals and all the right places, but they didn't really come up with the idea. It's been happening for a long time. Just the same, kudos to Bloomberg and Indeed for doing it. So that's pretty cool stuff. All right. All right. Uh, now I want to talk about laptops because stuff is happening in the world of alternative operating system powered laptops and just laptops in general that I love. Two, two announcements happened over this last week. The first one came from a little company in Boulder, Colorado, or Denver, Colorado, Denver, Colorado, uh, called System 76. And System 76, I, I've, I've been to their offices in the past. Uh, they're, uh, they're good people. They produce Linux-powered computers. That's their whole thing. You know, they don't stop people from putting windows on their desktops and laptops that they make, but they, they ship them with Linux. Up until recently, they did it all with Ubuntu. They've since switched over to doing it with what's called Pop OS, which has the most ridiculous name of any operating system. P-O-P exclamation point underscore OS. That's the official name and they... They get weird if you spell it wrong. I don't know why. However, Pop! OS is basically Ubuntu with some changes on top, at least at the current moment, and they ship them with that. Now, here's where it kind of gets interesting. The new laptop updates that System76 is putting out are nothing to write home about. <laughs> <laughs> no, so why do I mention them? They're 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 reasonable updates. Um, uh, their Pangolin laptop line gets an NVIDIA GeForce RTX 3050 card, uh, a newer Intel i9. Uh, they have 15 or 17 inch displays at 144 hertz. Good things, not bad things. There's nothing wrong with any of this. However, System 76 produces their desktop computing line, their primary desktop computing line, they call them the Thelios. They custom mold their cases and build their own cases themselves. They work really hard. They build their own daughter boards that, for, for various components in-house in their Colorado facility. And they try and produce firmware that's as open as possible and hardware that's as open as possible in their desktop line. It's fantastic. I truly love what the work they're doing on the desktop line. Love it. It's fantastic. It's a good quality machine too. Really, really cool stuff. Their laptop lines are what are known as uh, rebadged machines. They are laptops produced by generic laptop companies that then resell them to other equipment manufacturers who can put their own logos on them and tweak them a little bit before reselling them to their customers. So what we're getting out of System76 in the laptop front is astoundingly generic, crazily generic, off-the-charts generic. Now, that's not necessarily a bad thing, though, because what we're getting is more and more commodity laptops powered by Linux 
that also can run Windows and, and possibly some other operating systems as well that are, that, that are tested, right? And that's a good thing. It would be nice to see System76 put the same love, engineering, and creativity into their laptop line that they do their desktop line, but we're not there yet. However, Framework announced a series of laptop updates the same week that are insane. And I mean that in the best possible way. Now, Framework is not like some Linux-only company. They, you buy their laptops running Windows and all that sort of thing, but they, of course, try their best to support Linux all along the way. In fact, in fact, they're kind of their head of Linux support is a gentleman named Matt Hartley, who I have done shows with for years, know him very well. I know these people and they, their heart is all in the right place for, for, for not just running Windows, but Linux and alternative operating systems. It's great. But the announcements that they made are staggeringly good. Framework has had one laptop called the Framework 13, their 13-inch screen. I've spent a lot of time with the Framework 13. And what's great about this machine is that the main board on it is user replaceable. Meaning anytime Framework comes out with a, an updated model that has a new board, a new processor, a new GPU, any of that sort of thing, you can buy the new main board from Framework. They will ship it to you. You can open up with a couple of screws your Framework 13 laptop pull out the the main board that's in there, slap in the new one, close it back up, tighten those screws back down, and you've got an updated laptop. Same screen, keyboard, you keep all the rest of it. If you want to replace other pieces and parts, you can do that too. Cool. And then you can take that main board. So now you've got this old main board from your old laptop. What do you do with it? Well, you can turn it into a desktop. They even have 3D models you can go get that you can print out and you can put it inside. You can buy cases online to put your, your old th framework laptop main boards inside of to turn it into a slim form factor desktops. Incredibly cool. I love the reusability of all that. Because too often companies, especially nowadays with phones and laptops and tablets in particular, they make machines where you can't replace anything. Not only can you not replace the, you can't upgrade the RAM in your Mac laptop. That's insane. You can't upgrade the, the you can't upgrade the drives in some machines because they're just kind of glued and soldered on. That's craziness. You can't even upgrade the battery in most laptops and phones nowadays. And I'm not even talking about it being easy to upgrade a battery. Like it was in the 90s and the early 2000s where you just clip a back, a little back flap off and pull the battery out, slap a new battery in, close the back, and boom, you've got a new battery. Or old Mac laptops that literally had like a lever that you pull and it just ejected the battery and you just slap a new one in. 
It used to be that Apple and Dell and Hewlett-Packard and so many other companies, they cared, and Toshiba, they cared about providing you with machines that were somewhat user serviceable, uh, swappable PCM-CIA cards that provided a wide variety of different functionality from networking to memory to all sorts of stuff, hot swappable batteries, replaceable drive bays, you, in Mac laptops... There was a period of time where the CD drives and the floppy drives and the batteries were just quick, hot, swappable, ejectable, and you could slap new ones in. You could upgrade the memory. Heck, there was a period of time where a Mac laptop, you could pull in and out the wireless card and the RAM and the drive just by pulling a few tabs on the keyboard, flipping it up, and just yanking the things out. It was amazing nowadays it's not the case nowadays you're lucky you are lucky if you can upgrade the ram in your computer because more and more increasingly that is not possible even and the batteries are glued in and and it produces machines that have an end of life that have planned obsolescence and that sucks that sucks for a million reasons that's just not a great way to go Well, Framework is changing that in an amazing, amazing way. And we're coming up on a break, so we're going to have to talk about that more after the break. So, don't go anywhere. Hold Hold on to your seats. Grab a bucket of popcorn and come on back. More talk about the Framework when we return. What I want you got might be hard to handle Like a flame that burns a candle the candle feeds the flame What I got full stock Thoughts and dreams that scatter And you pull them all together Welcome back to Lunduke's Big Tech Show. All right. When we left off, we were talking about the Framework 16 laptops that are not released yet. I'm going to be very clear about this. They're not even taking pre-orders yet, but they will be shortly with a shipping date later this year. So why am I mentioning this? Because they are doing something that is awesome. They are making a 16-inch laptop that is ridiculously, insanely modular with user-replaceable components all over the place. So to start with, 16-inch screen, right? So you can get a nice matte 16-inch screen. That's fine. You can get that on other laptops. But on this laptop, the back bottom section is where the GPU lives. And it's replaceable. Easy replaceable, as in it just comes off. Which means you can swap it out for anything. And I mean just about anything because they've designed it such according to what their release says and what all the early, early buzz says is they were designed it such that you could also put in another battery back there or a new powerful GPU, which means as the years go on and you want to upgrade pieces and parts of your Framework 16 laptop, you can just like with a desktop PC that you custom built yourself. This is nothing short of a revolution in laptops. A modular, replaceable GPU in a laptop. User replaceable. Oh my word. 
but it's better than that. Because along the sides of it, did you know that this laptop, the Framework 16, does not have a built-in audio jack? Absurd! Haha, what they have instead is a whole row of modular replaceable I.O. ports that you can just pull on and off. And they have, uh, for you know, a USB, a headphone jack for audio, whatever you want. And they're making the specs open so people can build their own I.O. ports that they can just swap out so you can have the I.O. on your laptop that you want. Not what, you know, HP or Dell or anyone else says you should have, but you can choose. Do you want nothing but a row of USB-C ports? Great. Done. You're in. Do you want several audio headphone jacks? I don't know why you would, but if you want that, boom, you can have it. Awesome. And it gets even better because the whole keyboard front chassis thingamadoodad is also swappable. So you get it and you have you can have a nice, nice, simple laptop, right? Well, what if you want a, a laptop keyboard that also has a 10 Ken key number pad on the side? That can be a separate module that you snap in. Don't want the 10 key number pad? Remove it. And you can put something else in its place. Now, they were kind of demoing the possibility of having like a little e-ink screen here that could go there or extra little speakers or all sorts of things that could go in place and you could slide the the keyboard around so you could put the keyboard in the middle and put little speaker spacers around the keyboard or you could slide the keyboard to the side and put the number keypad on the right or you could slide the keyboard all the way to the right and put the number keypad on the left right? It also means that you can replace the mouse touchpad, little touchpad with something else. This is what we've needed. This is, this is what other companies should be doing. And now that we're seeing this happen, what I'm seeing, what I'm feeling is that if this takes off, And by all indications, it is. People are clamoring for this thing. The specs are open for people to make their own components. Which means that the Framework 16 isn't just a great modular laptop. It's the laptop to have. Because you can continue to upgrade it with not just parts that the company, that Framework makes, but that other people makes. And Framework has embraced this. On their website, they're building out a marketplace where they can bring in people who are makers, who create pieces and parts of the laptop for you to put a new I.O., new GPU in the slot in the back, new keyboard and mouse trackpad modules, all of it, as well as the main board that can be swapped out, all of it, that you can buy through a marketplace. Which means that all the other companies with their glued in RAM chips and their glued on CPU and their glued in but not even user accessible batteries. It's too late. They're left in the dust. 
it's amazing. Uh, kudos to Framework for doing this. This is this is something that I've been waiting for. Uh, I I will be I will be quick to try and get myself a Framework 16 as soon as I can justify it. Luckily, they don't come out until later this year, so uh, I've I've got some time to work on the wife there. <laughs> but oh my word, oh my word, a truly modular upgradable user upgradable laptop it's here it's here and it's making a big splash i'm i'm so terribly excited this is something i've i've harped on for years now if only we could get phone manufacturers to do something similar if we could get a successful phone manufacturer to come in and say here's the chassis for your phone user-accessible battery, user-accessible cell data modem, user-accessible main board and screen and everything, and you can swap them out and replace them and upgrade them as new, as new versions come out. That's what we need. That's, that's the next thing. That's the next step. I, I, I'm, I'm convinced of it. And it's just going to take a cell phone manufacturer with some real guts and some real pull to make it happen. All right, uh, let's let's talk a little bit about Microsoft because Microsoft, while while Framework is over here revolutionizing laptops and and making laptops not only as user upgradable as they used to be, but even more so, Microsoft is over here putting ads in Windows Eleven. <laughs> Like a lot of ads, a ridiculous number of ads. I, I was reading an article over at tomshardware.com, and I'm going to read a little tidbit to you because the whole gosh darn thing made me laugh a great deal and just made me shake my head. Now, I, I, used, to, I used to work at Microsoft. I, I worked on the teams responsible for putting out Windows ME, I'm sorry, and Windows 2000. You're welcome. And I, I was around the block a few times. And now when I'm reading this, when I'm seeing what Microsoft is doing to Windows, it, oh my heavens, oh my heavens. And I quote from Tom, the Tom's Hardware article. If you go to the search box in Windows 11 or 10 and click on it, likely with the intent of searching for an app or a document on your local drive, you are presented with a slew of news headlines. Depending on who you are and perhaps what you've clicked on before, it can feel like you're looking at the magazine rack in a supermarket checkout line. You get even more headlines with larger photos and details if you choose to click on or possibly just hover over the weather icon which lives on the left or right side of your taskbar. I just wanted the full forecast today when I clicked. But instead, I was presented with this key headline, quote, Horror as man reveals father-in-law's browser history at family gathering. <laughs> it, it is getting a little ridiculous. Uh, you can find screenshots of how horrible this looks if you don't yourself run Windows. But Microsoft is shoving, they're just shoveling advertisements all throughout windows in the little weather widget in the search box they're putting it everywhere and it it is obscene it is gaudy it is just tasteless and tacky i don't know what on earth 
Microsoft is thinking. But oh my word, it needs to stop. There was a period of time where even if you didn't like Windows, even if you said, you know what, I'm a Mac guy, I don't like Windows, or I'm a Linux or Unix user, this Windows thing is stupid, right? Even if you made fun of and mocked Windows, at least you could agree that by and large, it was a relatively classy system. It wasn't sprinkled with advertisements. It may have had design flaws, you may have hated the UI choices, but it wasn't tacky. You may have said it was ugly, but it was never tacky. Now it's just tacky. Now you've got a system in Windows 11 that is hobbled to the point where it requires custom hardware dongles to boot in the form of TPM. And it requires 1.21 gigawatts of RAMs. It's ridiculous how much hard drive space and RAM Windows 11 requires. Considering how little actual functionality you gain over previous releases. When I look at Windows 11, I don't see a system that is it is functionally more exceptional or interesting than Windows, say, Windows 7. Or Windows XP, for that matter. If I'm being really honest, I'm wondering why the heck they don't just go back to Windows 2000, upgrade the version of DirectX, and call it a friggin' day. But regardless, maybe they need all that hard drive space, all that CPU, all that RAM that Windows 11 requires to show those great advertisements, huh? Because you got to have good advertisements, or is it really an operating system? Good heavens. Um, all right, uh, before we take a break, I want to do a quick layoff update. We did it. Ladies and gentlemen, congratulate yourselves. High-five yourselves and pat yourselves on the back. We finished quarter one of 2023. I said we could do it with more tech industry layoffs than we experienced during the entirety of last year. That's right. In 2022, we had 164,000 layoffs in the tech industry, which is a record for the whole year. That is a record. 164,000 layoffs in the tech industry. Most of it near the end of the year, but a year-long layoff record. Amazing. In 2023, up to March 31st, up to the end of quarter one, the first three months, we had, drumroll please, 165,000 layoffs. We beat all of the 12 months of 2022 in just three months. Oh my word. Uh, Putting us over the top, Hulu this last week did 200 layoffs. Yeah, Roku did 200 layoffs, Electronic Arts 780 layoffs, Seagate, the makers of all those delicious hard drives, 480 layoffs, and Rackspace, yeah, the, uh, the, the hosting company, 275 layoffs. And there was some more as well, but these were the ones that jumped out at me. Across the board, across the spectrum of different sorts of tech companies, 
doing hundreds and hundreds of layoffs in a spell. We were just lucky that this week we didn't have another round of 10,000 layoffs here, 10,000 layoffs there. So, record-breaking quarter. There has never been a three-month period, a quarter, where this many layoffs have happened in the tech industry. It's never happened before. More layoffs have happened in Q1 of this year, in the last three months, than during the entire dot-com bubble burst by several orders of magnitude, by times three, at least. Yeah. This is a big deal. Now, what's going to happen in Q2 of this year? What's going to happen over the next three months? I'm hoping we're going to see a little bit of a slowing. We've still got a lot of layoffs ahead of us. I'm thinking Q2 is going to be a strong layoff year, a lot strong layoff quarter, but not as bad as Q1. That's my personal prediction. This is going to be the month that it starts to taper off a bit heading into the rest of the year. That's my hope, looking at how things are going. Fingers crossed. And if you're out there and you have been experiencing these tech layoffs, uh, my heart goes out to you. But there is silver lining out there. More jobs are on the way. The tech industry will not disappear. We're going to be okay. All right, stick around. we got a whole bunch more coming up after this. See you soon. The living I have been making fun of the Internet of Things since before the Internet of Things was a name. I, I, I find the concept of Internet-connected everyday items to be absolutely ludicrous in an enjoyable sort of way. I've made fun of it so much. One time I was speaking at a conference... Uh, I was given a keynote at a conference, and uh, the the conference organizers gave me a present. They bought me an internet-connected crockpot. <laughs> they bought me a friggin' crockpot that has Wi-Fi in it, because you can't possibly cook a stew without having your crockpot connected to the internet via Wi-Fi. And I, I thought this was hilarious. I mean, it was just very, very funny. I Internet-connected doorbells, internet-connected gas stoves, internet-connected fridges. It's, it's almost obscene. How many things do you need to connect to the internet? Anyone who has been in software development or testing or just been using computers a lot for more than a few years knows that the more, the more complex you make something, the more likely it is to break. And when you, when you build a, a small, often Linux or BSD-powered computer into something, you are increasing the complexity of that thing exponentially. It is just so much more complex. Now, BSD and Linux and all those systems are fantastic. They are well-tested, for sure. But there's no getting around that they are going to be infinitely less secure, and infinitely less stable than just simply having a crockpot that you turn on with a knob and doesn't have a computer with a web server and a a Wi-Fi and internet stack built into it. That's just obvious. 
and the, the idea that you open up the ability for someone to hack your gas stove is just absurd. So when I was reading about the effort by the United States Department of Transportation to build more smart cities, my eyes rolled back in my head to such a degree that I do not believe you could see my, I could see the top of my skull. It was, it is insane. On March 21st, this is from the United States Department of Transportation. This is, this is their announcement. Now, before I get into this, I would like to say this is not political. We are going to mention people who often get politicized. I do not care about that. I care about the Internet of Thingsing of things, and we're going to get into the details, but I have to read this announcement to get through that. Whatever you think of the people that I'm about to mention, put that aside for a moment, because let's focus on the awesome, nerdy weirdness of all this. On March 21st of 2023, United States Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg announced $94 million in grant awards for 59 projects across 33 states through the first round of funding for the Strengthening Mobility and Revolutionizing Transportation Grants Program. Strengthening Mobility and Revolutionizing Transportation, S-M-A-R-T, SMART. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> now, this this uh, $94 million is the first round of about $500 million that will be spent over the next few years. So they're putting a half a billion dollars into this project. So I wanted to dig in and see what exactly this project was. Because if we're smartifying our cities... What does that mean? So, here's two examples of what that means. In Delaware, they're going to spend $1.9 million too, and I'm going to read this exactly. This is how they describe the project. Quote, (laughs) Deploy cloud-based vehicle-to-everything technology And I should point out that vehicle to everything is a singular hyphenated word. Vehicle hyphen to hyphen everything. Technology. And optimized signal timing along statewide roadways. I I, I started looking into what vehicle to everything technology is. And it kind of just seems like super connected vehicles. And, and they're going to use that to be always connected to cloud-based technology, right? So cloud servers, so a bunch of virtual servers that are going to optimize signal timing. There's no way that could go wrong. <laughs> they're going to put all the cars communicating with, quote, the cloud in a vehicle-to-everything technology solution in order to run the signals, the light signals, right? The the red light, green light. Okay. All right. All right. All right. I'll roll with that. I I, I can kind of see what the, where they're going. Las Vegas, Nevada, $2 million. What are they going to use that $2 million for? <laughs> they're going to, quote, 
prototype a cloud-based signal timing optimization system that supports AI analytics in the Las Vegas region. (laughs) I'm proud of them. They managed to work in a whole lot of modern buzzwords. They're prototyping a (laughs) cloud-based signal timing optimization system for AI analytics. Now, what exactly does that mean? It seems like they're going to use an artificial intelligence engine to connect to all the cars, and the AI is going to run, quote, in the cloud, and that is going to run all the stoplights. So instead of people, you know, running the stoplights and and programming the stoplights, it's going to be an AI system that's connected to your car that's going to do it. Now, there's a whole bunch more like this, but there's ones that deal with, uh, there's ones that actually make a ton of sense. Like there was, there was a couple in here where they're going to use drones to inspect like underpasses and overpasses and bridges under overpasses, bridges, look for cracks and things like that. I'm like, okay, that seems like a good use for a drone. You know, fly it around where it's kind of hard to get a person up and really check and make sure everything's safe and secure and that the bridges aren't going to fall down. I like that. I like that. Um, uh, a lot of a lot of smart traffic signals using AI for traffic signals, a whole bunch of that. A whole lot of connected and autonomous vehicle programs. But one, and they also describe several Internet of Things infrastructure projects, a couple of which really confuse me. There is, seems to be close to $10 million set aside for internet connected curbs. Yeah, yeah, like, like the curb of the street, like the thing next to the sidewalk that you bump, you can bump into when you're parking. <laughs> internet connected curb I, I never I never thought to connect my crock pot to the internet but at least the crock pot is something you use it has buttons and you plug it in I never thought to connect a doorbell to the internet but again there's a button it makes a sound it has a function it connects to the electricity I, I get it I, I, I see how you can connect it to the internet they're going to connect curbs. the Yeah, the things made of concrete, the bumps made of concrete are now going to be inter- Internet of Thingsified. They're going to they're gonna be Internet connected. <laughs> Why would you do that? I, I think the idea is they're going to have sensors in place. And they're going to use it to measure parking and congestion and when people bump into them and they're going to measure things and whatnot. But this just seems crazy to me. Why not have internet connected trees? How about an internet connected rock sitting by the river? Like internet connected curb? Uh, yeah, but an internet connected bench so we know when people's sitting on it. I, I, it's getting a little bit crazy. This is a lot of internet connecting. This is getting internet. The idea of internet connected curbs is one of those ludicrous ideas that a few years ago we would have we would have we would have put that out there as a bit of satire. Like we would have said, "What internet connected crockpots? What's next? An internet connected curb? 
like, okay, now we're doing it. We're doing it, and we're spending millions of dollars to do it. And this is just the beginning. the the whole The whole idea is that cities are internet connected everything. Uh, your streets, and by your streets, I mean like the pavement, uh, the concrete that is on the, uh, the the curbs and the sidewalks, the street lights, the cars themselves, the 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 actual like the lights that just light everything up, everything. Internet connected, sending data back to the cloud in an AI connected AI optimized AI analytic system. Now, <laughs> there are many among you who are instantly reeling from this and thinking about all of the privacy surveillance impl- implications. And you're not wrong. Obviously, there are a million and one ethical surveillance, privacy, etc., issues that come up when you are going down the street and there's now dozens and dozens and dozens of internet connected devices and sensors sending data about you back to an AI driven analytics engine operating in a cloud optimized high uptime big data environment on a Kubernetes cluster, right? It's getting a little bit insane potentially more than a little bit insane. It's a lot insane. Uh, Again, this is not the place for the politics part of it. I don't want to get into the political side of it, but uh, I don't want that. (laughs) I don't know if I want my car being Internet of Thingsified, let alone the curb that I park next to. That just bugs me a little bit. I don't see a way that my life gets better there, but I see some ways where it's going to break. What happens when the Linux-powered TCP stack and web server running on my curb crashes? What happens when my curb crashes? What happens? Is the curb not going to function anymore? I I would assume it would keep working, but I don't know. I've never had an internet-connected curb before, so how am I supposed to know? This brings up questions. Now, a lot of this is just rolling out. The money's just going out to these these different municipalities. If you live in California, you're going to get the bulk of these because there's just cities all over California that are doing these projects. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see over the next year as they implement, uh, you know, vehicle to everything, internet connected curbs, <laughs> how this works. Uh, if you notice internet connected curbs in your city, let me know. Take a picture of the curb and show me because I've never seen Linux running on a curb before. I would personally like to have a large photo gallery of all of the concrete in the world that currently runs BSD or Linux. I feel like that's an important thing. All right, as we come to the close of of this first hour, stick around. We got a lot coming up in hour two of the show. We're going to be talking about uh, some Linux gaming history. We're going to be talking about some classic Mac OS stuff. Uh, we got we got history. So much amazing history that we're going to talk about that is genuinely exciting. And we've got listener questions from all of you. So, stick around. Father wears his Sunday best. Mother's tired, she needs a rest. 